I'm Stephen, one of the pastor's elders here at, at Trinity. It's an honor and privilege to study God's word with you this morning. So it was Valentine's week last week. Did you get loved on the whole week? At least one of those days? So hopefully you feel loved this morning. And I was thinking about we could start a holly year, not a holly day, but a holly year called Love God, Love One Another Year. Think that would catch on? Caleb was looking at me, maybe, maybe. All right, we'll get to it. According to biographyonline.net, under the heading of famous people who were misunderstood, here is what is written about Jesus Christ. Quote, Jesus taught a message of love and forgiveness. But the religious authorities of the time felt he was a threat to their power. After his crucifixion and death, writers have made claims about Jesus, which he did not necessarily claim for himself during his life. The most prolific writer in the New Testament is St. Paul, and our perception of Jesus Christ is colored by St. Paul's interpretation of Jesus Christ's mission. Hmm. Apparently the content writers of that website understand Jesus better than the Apostle Paul. And I think whoever wrote that blurb misunderstood not only Jesus, but also Paul. And this morning we will see how people continue to misunderstand who Jesus is and they eventually reject Jesus. So we do not want to be like those in John's gospel who misunderstand, discredit, and disbelieve what Jesus says about having to be set free from our sins. So as the gospel writer John tells us much about who Jesus is, as Rob prayed, let's listen carefully because if we misunderstand who Jesus claims to be or do not believe in Jesus, we will die in our sins. And to be dead in, a, in our sins and separated from God is indeed a terrifying and dreadful place to be. So please pray with me for our Savior's help. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. And I ask by the power of your spirit that my words would sink into their ears with a sound of, of love and grace and mercy. Help me to feed your people, to love your people, and help us to hear your word. Help it to sink into our hearts. We ask all these things in the mighty name of King Jesus. And his people said, amen. Are you ready to receive this morning's message? With great eagerness? Yes. And examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true? So John opened his gospel in chapter 1 with light and darkness imagery. John 1 verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Youth, you guys got your Bibles with you? 
Has everyone got their Bibles with them? Let's break out our Bibles. So let's think of our Bibles as a lamp, as a lamp, as a light. Psalm chapter 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. King David wrote in Psalm 27 verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's keep our Bibles open. John chapter 8. If you're not there yet, please turn there. So I'm going to set the scene. In chapter 7, Jesus was at the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. And these celebrations were there to remember God's favor and faithfulness during Israel's wanderings through the desert. So let's imagine that we are traveling to Jerusalem and going to the Feast of Tabernacles to praise God. We don't have our iPhones or lighters or flashlights or headlamps, which we bring out to the middle of the wilderness with us. There are no street lights, no neon signs, no electricity, none of that. It's dark. And you guys know, I've mentioned many times, I don't like the dark. So as we enter Jerusalem, the city is beaming with light. Imagine a scene where there are huge torches of fire on pillars in the temple and large golden bowls filled with oil and burning. There are countless Israelites playing music and dancing and singing songs of praise. The whole city of Jerusalem was lit up like one big giant candle and could be seen for miles. And on the last day of that festival in chapter 7, we learned a couple weeks ago that Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And in chapter 8, our chapter this morning, Jesus is at the temple where everyone has traveled to worship God, to praise God, to remember that God is the one who led them out of slavery from Egypt through the wilderness by a pillar of fire by night. And Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world. So will the people in Jerusalem believe that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. We have to believe in the testimony of Jesus. That's our first point. Chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is the second I am statement from Jesus. That first one was in John 6, 35, where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Without the light of Jesus, people will walk in darkness. This darkness Jesus is speaking about is a spiritual darkness. And those in spiritual darkness have a life that is characterized by foolishness and ignorance. Not knowing God and not being known by God. 
Those who are walking in darkness are under God's judgment and wrath. Those who walk in darkness are those who do not follow Jesus. Those who don't know Jesus, those who do what is right in their own eyes, to follow Jesus is to walk in the light. And if you want to shine like the stars in heaven, you got to walk in the light. So enter the Pharisees' first objection to Jesus' claim as the light of the world. Remember, the Pharisees are the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They regarded themselves as the separated ones who were strongly committed to following the law. So imagine a gang of Pharisees. A group of these guys are questioning Jesus. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to Jesus, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And true here means genuine, reliable, trustworthy, valid. It seems that the Pharisees want to revisit previous discussions on the validity of witnesses Jesus spoke about. Jesus had already told them about other witnesses. In chapter 5, you'll recall how John the Baptist born witness to the truth and how the Father who sent Jesus has himself borne witness. And we see here that Jesus is still demonstrating divine patience and kindness. And he explains it to them again in verses 14 through 18. Jesus answered them, If I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from. And I know where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus is calling them out on their faulty understanding. They are misunderstanding Jesus. They don't understand that Jesus is from a divine zip code, one that transcends time and space. Jesus was in the beginning with God. And Jesus adds that they are the ones who are judging and condemning. They are judging according to the flesh. They are trying to make Jesus out to be the crazy one, trying to discredit his testimony. In John 7, verse 24, Jesus had already said to them, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus adds that he doesn't judge the way that they do, by looking merely at the outward appearance. And this is where we should take note. To not be like the Pharisees. And it can be so easy as for us to fall into the trap of, of judging others by appearances. I'm convicted of this. I'll see someone wearing cowboy boots. And I think that the only music that they listen to is country music. And only Jesus knows what kind of music they listen to in their hearts. 
Let's take a few minutes to get to know people, to get to know them. Let's move toward them. Take a moment to ask them, how are things? How are you doing? And if they say things are great, don't walk away. Don't walk away. Ask them another question. What makes things so great? What makes things so great? Get to know one another so that you can love one another better. Verses 17 and 18, they wanted a second witness. And Jesus presents to them the Father as his witness. God the Father bears witness about Jesus. And you think one of the Pharisees looking on would have said, let's look into this for a second. Now let's go back to the scriptures. I mean, we're the Pharisees and all. Let's see if what Jesus is saying is true. I mean, he keeps saying the same stuff, right? You think they would do that? No, they are too proud to consider if what Jesus is saying is indeed what Scripture says. They ignore what Jesus is saying about himself. They refuse to accept Jesus' own testimony and that of his Father. And that's more instruction for us, right? More instruction. Let's not neglect the searching out of the Scriptures. The searching out of the Bible. Let's get to know our Bibles, to learn from our Bibles. Let's come to the words of God with humble and teachable hearts. Jesus says that his words are true. His words are true. Let's be guided by the truth of his word. Jesus is the fountain of truth. He's the great jewel of truth. Verse 19, a Pharisee said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. They're saying, Okay, Jesus, if your father bears you witness, where is he? We see that they continue to misunderstand and misinterpret what Jesus is saying. They don't understand that Jesus is speaking of the divine Father in heaven, the first person of the triune God, God the Father. They want to show, they want Jesus to show them an earthly father. And Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus is pointing to his heavenly father, not an earthly father. Their misunderstanding of who Jesus says he is further demonstrates that they do not know the God that they worship. They don't have a personal relationship with God. They don't have a personal relationship with Yahweh. They are not his children. And therefore, they do not know him. Verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And so we're back to the setting in the temple. I notice that John doesn't hesitate to make this point. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We believe in the testimony of Jesus because he revealed himself to be the light 
of the world. The testimony of Jesus is true. Do we believe that? It's necessary that we do not misunderstand who Jesus is. Point two, misunderstanding who Jesus is will lead to eternal death. Misunderstanding who Jesus is will lead to eternal death. Verses 21 through 30. Jesus still being patient, wanting none to perish, but all to come to repentance. He continues to teach so that those who are listening may come to a knowledge of the truth. And here Jesus begins with a stern warning. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And let's not miss what Jesus says to them. They will die in their sin. And this is ironic. They will continue to look for the Messiah, the anointed one from the Father, from God, and they will not find him. Their sin is that they reject the Jesus who is in front of them, the Messiah. Their sin is that they don't believe we know that John has written these things in his gospel so that we may believe. They don't understand where they are currently headed. They are headed to hell, the lake of fire, which is eternal separation from God. And if only they would turn from their unbelief and believe in Jesus then they could follow Jesus where he is going. But they don't. Verses 22 through 24. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, that I am, you will die in your sins. So along with the Pharisees, we see that there are Jews, there are others in the crowd. They also could not grasp where Jesus was from or where he was going. They can only come up with it that Jesus is going to commit suicide. They clearly misunderstand and misinterpret what Jesus says. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And we see that Jesus is not of this world. If you believe in and follow Jesus, you are N-O-T-W. You remember that bumper sticker, that slogan, N-O-T-W? Not of this world. You are not of this world if you believe and follow Jesus. Those who do not believe in Jesus are from below. They are of this world. Jesus is from above the heavenly realm, the kingdom of God. For those of us who follow Jesus, we are to think of things above. Where Christ is seated. Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 24, Jesus says, since you are of the world, you will die in your sins unless 
you believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. Jesus tells them, you will not inherit eternal life. You will inherit eternal death. You will inherit life away from God in hell. So the way to escape this eternal death is to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, verses 25 through 27. So they said to him, who are you? Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Who are you? They ask. Still confused. Still confused. What? Who are you? And Jesus says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. They do not understand because they are blinded by the darkness. Jesus as the light of the world, is there to reveal what is true. But they cannot see. They are unwilling to see. And Jesus has not revealed it to them because they refuse to believe that he is the one who has been sent to them to free them from their sin. Verses 28 and 29, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am, that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. They will know that Jesus has been sent from God when he is lifted up on the cross to die for their sins, for the sins of all who believe in Jesus. They will come to know that what Jesus says is true when he is lifted up. And not only, not only will Jesus die for the sins of mankind by being lifted on the cross, but Jesus will also be highly exalted. His great name will be lifted up and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus always does what pleases the Father. Verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Hallelujah, right? Many believed in the testimony of Jesus. They believed that they would die in their sins if they did not believe in him. So would they continue to believe in Jesus? Would they remain in Jesus? That's the question. Would it be said of them, God is their father? Our last point, your spiritual identity matters. Your spiritual identity matters. Verses 31 through 59. Where you come from matters. Think about who you call your father. Who is your Abba? Father, who is your daddy? Verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Jesus is putting those who believe in him to the test. Jesus' words are piercing their hearts and discerning their thoughts and intentions. What or who their true allegiance is rooted in. Jesus said, if you abide in my word. And let's pause here again. Do we abide in his word? Do we persevere in reading the word of God? If we read God's word, continue in his word, dwell in his word, even the dwell app that some of us have, but not only the dwell app, for dwelling in that, but in all areas of our lives. If you or your family struggle to find time reading the word, read it out loud to them during dinner. It's my cue to grab a devotional that Drew Lynn gave me. One year of dinner table devotions. Come see me after service if you'd like this. So if you find it hard to read the word of God, read it out loud to your family. If your family is not reading the word, read it out loud to them. Read it out loud to them. Two, we can pray the word. I got another book. Come see me after service. Praying the Bible. Pray the word of God. Pray the word of God. Pray this passage. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Help me to abide in your word. Help me to know your word. Help me to believe in your word. Help me to trust you. Help me to speak of your great name. Pray the word of God. We can memorize his word. We can listen to his word being preached just as you are doing now. We can reach out to others to help us. For those of us in community groups, you can reach out to those in your community groups, those who you do discipleship with. Read the Bible to one another. These will help us to endure to the end, to remain in Jesus, to stay close to Jesus. True disciples, they abide in Jesus. They remain in Jesus. And Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Your eyes will be opened. As you read the word, you will see the light and you will no longer walk in darkness. Jesus will renew your mind and soften your heart. You will have new affections, a heart that beats for God, a heart that sacrificially loves others, that serves others, that's generous, that rejoices with others who rejoice, that weeps with others who weep. If you abide in his word, you will know his truth and you will experience the freedom from the power of sin. Because we know that those who are enslaved to sin need to be set free. And Jesus revealed to them that they were enslaved to sin. They needed to love Jesus who who said that he was the truth and the way and the life. He's the only one who can set them free. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say we will become free? They answered to Jesus, no, that's not how it works, Jesus. We are free. We are free. 
They take great pride in that they are offspring or descendants of Abraham. They ask Jesus what this being free stuff is all about. How is it that you say we will become free, Jesus? We've never been enslaved to anyone. Verses 34 through 38, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And Jesus says, first, you are enslaved to sin, and it's simply not good enough to be offspring or descendants of Abraham. You are a slave to sin. You are in subjection to sin. You are in bondage to sin. A slave is not guaranteed a secure dwelling place in the family. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So house here could also be translated a family or a home. And the NET translators put it this way. Jesus' point is that while a slave may be a part of a family or a household, the slave is not guaranteed a permanent place there. While a son, a descendant or blood relative, will always be guaranteed a place in the family. Jesus is the true son of God who will remain forever. And those of us who are children, who are sons and daughters of God, we will remain forever. Can I get an amen? Therefore, if the Son, if Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Paul, we saw, we saw last semester that Paul also uses language in Romans. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You get some free time this afternoon or this week. Why not read the whole letter of Romans? It takes like an hour and 15 minutes. Be a good little afternoon nap after you read it. The Jews equated their freedom with physical ties to Abraham. So they may be physically offspring of Abraham, but they are not acting like Abraham, nor have the righteousness of Abraham because they want to kill Jesus. Verse 38 ends with Jesus emphasizing that he does the will of God the Father. They do what they have heard from their father, and we're going to see in a moment that Satan is their father. And we know that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So verses 39 through 42, they answered him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. 
Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And they doubled down on Abraham as being their father. And Jesus tells them why they are not children of Abraham. First, they would be doing the works that Abraham did. And second, we know that Abraham welcomed those of divine origin. He bowed before them. He bowed before the Lord when he appeared to him in the tent. These men are seeking to kill Jesus. Verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. They understand that Jesus is calling them illegitimate children, born of their father, the devil. Well, then they say, well, that's the case. God's our father. God's our father. Jesus says, God cannot be your father because if God were your father, you would love me. Outwardly, they may have looked religious, following the law, following the traditions of men, but inwardly, they were children of Satan. And they still don't understand. We see this verses 43 through 47. Jesus says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. See how Jesus breaks it down for them methodically, patiently, slowly, trying to teach them. And here is why they cannot understand what he's saying. Because Satan, the father of lies, can't bear to hear it. And he's saying, therefore, you can't bear to hear my word. And we know that Satan is the originator of lies. He's the OL, the original liar. The first lie recorded in the Bible is that of Satan, the devil. After he lied to Adam and Eve, death, lies, and murder followed. And pause here again for a second. Wasn't it the most beautiful thing when you came to be known by Jesus? You encountered the truth. You knew that you were living a life of lies and that you were in darkness. And suddenly, you knew the truth. You wanted to tell the truth. You were convicted when you lied. It's like you couldn't help but be truthful. Isn't it nice when someone is honest with us? For you judges in the room, isn't that nice when you get someone to tell you the truth? Lawyers as well. Everybody, it's nice when we hear the truth, right? Here is why they don't believe Jesus and cannot hear his words. Jesus said, whoever is of God hears the words of God. True disciples of Jesus 
True children of God are set free from the power of sin. But children of Satan are enslaved by it. True children of God live by faith and it's counted to them as righteousness. Children of Satan reject the truth and want to kill Jesus. True children of God love Jesus and they remain in Jesus. Now, they now result to the fruit of their character, which is to insult and slander Jesus. The Jews answered him, verses 48 through 51, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus, you're a Samaritan, they say. And you recall in John 4, 9, how Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans are also considered apostates and idolaters. They also say, by the way, not only are you Samaritan, you're a de- you have a demon. And Jesus says, no, sorry, no demon here. I honor the Father. Jesus is not seeking his own glory, but the glory of the Father. Jesus does the will of the Father. One of our beloved passages from John, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his own son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Jesus has the words of eternal life. Jesus told them to keep his word and that they would never see death. We know that this death that Jesus is speaking of is not just a physical death, but an eternal death as well. This never-see-death language that Jesus speaks of, it's emphatic. Whoever keeps my word will never see death forever. (laughs) Will never see death forever, for eternity. Verses 52 and 53, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be, Jesus? All right, now we know you have a demon. This is crazy talk. Never see death? Hmm. Who do you, who do you make yourself out to be? Verses 44, verses 54 through 56, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Their question, who do you make yourself out to be, demonstrates the depth of their darkness, their ignorance, their foolishness, their self-righteousness. They think they know God. They think they know and rightly interpret the scriptures, 
and they don't know God. And here's the irony again. They are in the midst of the incarnate God, God in the flesh, the only one who can shine a light into their darkness. It's beautiful insanity. God is among them and they cannot see it. Jesus is saying, the Father sent me to save you from your sins. The God who you think you believe in, he's the God who glorifies me. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. That day, this day is Jesus' day. Abraham rejoiced to see it. Maybe because of God's promise to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed in him. But we know that Jesus is the better Abraham. This is Jesus' day. John 1.14, right on our wall here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, okay, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. Here's the climax of the argument. We got you cornered, Jesus. You're not even 50. You've seen Abraham? Abraham is way older than you, like 2,000 years older than you are. You're not even 50. It's actually only like 30. And Jesus said to them, verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was before Abraham, the only one who was self-existent before Abraham was Yahweh, was God, the great I am. And Elliot read our call to worship text this morning, Exodus 3, 13 through 15. I thought I had a slide for it. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of the, your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, verse 15, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And just think about the magnitude of Jesus' statement. I am. Think about the connection. Jesus is saying I'm God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man, second person of the triune God, Jesus the Son. Let that sink in. And how do they respond? How do they respond? Verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus began this discourse with, I am the light of the world. He ends the discourse with, before Abraham was, I am. If Jesus had a microphone, 
That's where he dropped it. If Jesus' testimony were not true, it would have been blasphemy. But as Jesus has been saying from the beginning, his words are true. He is the Son of God, the second person of the triune God, equal to the Father in all ways. May we always believe in Jesus. May we never misunderstand who Jesus is. May our identity always be rooted in Jesus. And finally, may we never be left in darkness because of our unbelief. So the big idea. Jesus leaves the light on for all who believe and follow him. Jesus leaves the light on for all who believe and follow him. Please pray with me.